morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Charles Hips, who is the founder and CEO of Olio. And Olio is uh, a hiring system with its roots in uh, the UK and that is now headed to the United States to make a big splash. So, Charles, how are you? John, I'm, I'm given the circumstances, I'm, uh, I think, incredibly lucky. Um, I'm healthy, my family as well, and um, you know, everyone in the business is doing well too. So uh, it's a pleasure to be here. That's, that's great to hear. So, so take a moment and introduce yourself. Um, um, you've, you've been on the show a time or two before, but I bet there are one or two people in the audience who may not have heard of you. So. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. So, um, uh, I don't like to think of myself as an older fellow, but I've been doing this for 25 years now. Um, I'd like to think we were one of the first ever um, e-recruitment platforms. Um, we started off, um, you know, straight away as an online platform. Um, I've run the business as both, you know, publicly traded um, stock market listed company and also as a private company. Uh, prior to that, some of the stuff you you may not know is, you know, I was an engineering economics and management major at Oxford, worked for one of these big global strategy consultants, founded a recycling firm before I started Olio in recruitment. Um, and on a kind of very personal level, my family joke that uh, I'm unique in knowing how to have fun in a birthing pool. Um, and that is, uh, is because I'm a little water-obsessed. And the, the joke is that I could be found swimming up and down uh, the birthing pool at the birth of my children. And uh, <laughs> if, you ever, if any of you... <laughs> so anyhow, yes. <laughs> uh, and later, later today, I shall be out on the Thames. So we are very fortunate in London that, well, we are self-isolating. We are still allowed out for our half an hour of exercise. And uh, you will find me kayaking up and down central London, past uh, Big Ben and other monuments with my children in the back part of the kayak. Um, so, yes, personal passion is water. Huh. So, so tell me about Olio. What, is, what, what does the company do? Sure. Um, so um, we are obviously very much focused on innovation, and in particular – in automation and the use of data in recruitment. Um, and for the past I don't know, four or five years, we've been um, implementing the use of analytics and data throughout our end-to-end -end recruitment platform. And we've sort of come to think of what we're doing as you know, trying to create the next generation of recruitment software, which we call recruitment enablement. And, and at the heart of this recruitment enablement is leveraging data and automation to achieve great and diverse uh, hires. And the way we're trying to do that is uh, enable the recruitment teams um, through building in hardwiring into the software insights um, through multiple um, kind of tailored and personalized recruitment workflows and through um, Re removing uh, a lot of the kind of tedium, a lot of the automation, a lot of the admin from recruitment through automation. And I think kind of at the very core of what we're trying to do is um, to try and help our 
uh, clients with uh, you know recruit great and diverse hires. Um, uh, but a big part of that is also about the kind of whole efficiency um, and and um, reduction of ad of administration. So so. So is this an applicant tracking system plus, or is it a, uh, a a broader recruiting tool? Help me put it in the context of uh, other yeah. suppliers. Yeah. So I, no, I think well, that's very that's that's a great question. It's an end-to-end recruitment platform encapsulating, um, you know, ATS, CRM, onboarding, um, and what we've uh, tried to do is infuse it and build into it uh, data and intelligence so that uh, recruitment can become a really kind of data-driven um, analytics-led function. Oh, okay, so, so, so that's interesting. Do you call that stuff AI? Uh, if, not, if not, how do you describe it to, to somebody else? Hmm. Um, well, I, th- I think you know the heart of it is it's about it is about data-driven and analysis-led recruitment. Um, we definitely you know use a wide range of technologies, um, including kind of many traditional forms in terms of descriptive analytics. Uh, but we also do use um, you know many of the tools like machine learning or decision trees or neural networks that are often described as AI. Um, you know, the key to our, our business is about hardwiring those insights into the operational recruitment. We call it intelligent automation. Um, we kind of steer away generally from the word AI because it means so many different things and emotive things to different people. Um, but, you know, ultimately we, we kind of use all forms of analysis. I think particularly, I mean, it's, it's a kind of, it's a good question. Um, we... Uh, I think start off by trying to explain that, uh, you know, we are doing real-time analysis on data and then uh, making recommendations in the platform. So, you know, we're nudging recruiters to use inclusive language um, when they're writing a job advert, for example, or we are recommending which candidates should be taken um, through to interview. And, you know, I would start by explaining to someone that we're, just, we're using, you know, traditional and more advanced analytics to do that. I think if I, you start by telling people it's AI, um, it, you know, as I said, they immediately paint a picture um, with positive and negative connotations. So, so this, this approach would have to depend on two, two fundamental things. One is the quality of your client's job descriptions. Um, and the other is the quality of your capacity to um, understand the applications that come your way. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so let's talk about both of those things sort of separately. The, 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 the client's capacity to describe their jobs is, is somewhat of a bugaboo most places because the people in charge of writing the job descriptions are rarely the people who actually do the hiring. Um, mm-hmm. How do you overcome that with a system, with a system like yours? Because that, that's a huge amount of error to introduce into an analytical system. 
Um, I think you, you are 100% correct. Um, you know, if um, you were an occupational psychologist and you were, you know, trying to match someone to a job, you'd do a job analysis. You wouldn't use a job description. And I think, you know, the same in essence, you know, is, is the point you're making that, you know, the job descriptions aren't often a job analysis. Um, so um, I think uh, there's, two, there's two things we do. I mean, in some extreme cases, um, you know, we will create, uh, you know, a job analysis behind a job description. Um, and, in, and, and, you know, in other cases, our first, our first point is to create a lot of transparency. So what we will do is we will, first of all, build a model uh, that um, explains how decisions are being made today. Uh, and that would look at, you know, what uh, information is being put into a job uh, description, what information is being put into the candidate's response. And, you know, we would say to, to a client, look, uh, this is, seems to be the basis on which you're making decisions as to whether to interview people or whether to hire those people. You know, does that uh, reflect the reality? Um, are those good things to be making decisions about? Uh, sorry, are the good uh, data points on which to be making decisions? And if they're not good data points on which to be making decisions, which is, I think, in kind of your point, we'd try and put in place a program of, of improvement. We would say, well, you know, why uh, can't we improve the, the job descriptions? Can we come up with a job description library? Um, why, you know, are we collecting this information about a candidate? Um, you know, why don't we collect different information about a candidate? Um, I was looking earlier today um, through one such analysis, and it was for a client who was using a combination of tests and, um, and, re and, and uh, resumes to make decisions. Um, and you could see all the individual data points that they appeared to be using to make those decisions. And, you know, for example, the test uh, didn't seem to be in any way, uh, you know, um, highly predictive of who was succeeding later. And so the question was, well, why, why have that test? So, so the answer is, is, yes, you are completely correct that the quality of decision-making can only be based on the quality of the data points. And, you know, our first job is to actually understand how the decisions are being made today, which we can very, you know, our platform real-time builds models that explain that. And then we go, well, let's, how do we improve those data points? And I think that, to be honest, is, you know, one of the areas of, you know, massive improvement of decision-making. That's, that's really interesting. So, so that suggests that you look, a, a, lot, a lot of the people that I've talked to who offer sort of not identical functionality, but similar kinds of functionality, don't pay as close attention to um, individual job trajectories as you just described. Do you think that's a difference between the way that you do it and other people do it? Definitely. I think, you know, most of our clients are, you know, very large um, corporates. I would I literally, a couple of hours ago, I was on, on the phone uh, with someone who's, you know, global head of, of uh, people analytics. Uh, and, you know, what, one of the things he said when he was looking through, what I said, he said, you are incredibly, um, what's the word, thoughtful and profound in the amount of analysis you're giving me to consume. Um, in order to explain what you're doing 
And, you know, what you're doing is, you know, obviously completely tailored to the particular role or set of roles. We're looking at 79 different roles that, uh, that, that we're looking at. So, yes, the platform, um, you know, is ingesting the data real time and looking at each uh, thing, each, you know, job uh, or set of jobs, you know, real time. Uh, it's giving a lot of um, transparency as to what's going on today and giving the client the opportunity to talk about how they'd like to do it better in the future. Um, so it's very much not a So I think you're, in answer to your question, yes, I believe that's different from a lot of other people. We perhaps even go a little bit overboard in terms of uh, providing the depth of insight and explainer as to what's going on. And we just think that's kind of key because otherwise these things are so black box that, uh, uh, you know, some horrible mistakes can be made. So that, so that, gets, that gets us a little bit of the uh, sort of job description side of things. Now, you've got this intelligent engine, which has got to be largely natural language processing and some machine learning thrown on top of that. How do you account for, in, in your sort of processing models, how do you account for the variations between organizational cultures and regional cultures? Because you're a global enterprise, and, and you know, at its simplest, the, the language that we use to describe something in the States is different than it is in the U.K., but in specific companies, um, Different skills have different meanings and levels of importance. Different titles have different implications for status. And so when you think about matching, it really is a, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon that you're trying to capture inside of your processing tools. And it suggests that you might have different uh, processing models by client, do you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100% correct. I mean, our, I think our approach is, you know, really well suited to the issue you are, you know, you're, you're talking about. You know, what our models do is, you know, they will, uh, you know, uh, look at these, what we would call features, look at these particular data points, um, you know, extract them from job descriptions, extract them from, from, uh, from candidates' data, whether that be resumes, tests, um, performance of interview, we will extract those. And then, you know, what we're doing is we are understanding the significance of those things for that particular client. This is not generic in it. You know, this is the, the extraction processes, the process of, of building a model is a, you know, standardized process. But, um, you know, what, what we do is we build an algorithm, you know, per client, per job, almost, whatever level it makes sense. So, you know, it understands that, you know, the U.S. might use the language, you know, use language differently um, and, and reflect that. That's, and, that's, I, and it's not so difficult. It's not so difficult. You know, if once you're set up to do it, it's not so difficult. And that's what people need to do, in my belief. So, okay. So, so you start with that. And now you have, now you have a coronavirus hit, right? And so, so... <laughs> There's some question about whether or not the jobs change. Uh, there's some question mm -hmm. about whether or not who is a good fit in a world where you went to the office is a good fit in a world where you stay home. And so, so there's some 
question about the validity of results that you find today versus the results that you found a month ago. Um, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think that's a, you know, really, really good question. Um, you know, you could apply that question um, to humans as well. You could say, you know, uh, am I, well, you know, are the, the same assumptions that I used, uh, you know, a month ago, correct, you know, today, uh, you know, should I be making, you know, decisions in the same way? Um, and I think a lot of that depends on the particular question you're asking. So I think if we were trying to, if we were building something which was going to, uh, you know, predict which restaurant you should go and eat in, um, or whether you should eat in or eat out, or whether you should buy something online or go to a store, then I think, you know, the, the model would be pretty broken across that discontinuity that we, we've, we've experienced. Um, so I think, again, you need to be intelligent if we, if we look at some of the ways we're using, um, you know, models. Um, and also I think you think about the process we're going through. Um, so if your question is, um, you know, what language um, should I use in a job advert for it to be inclusive to both males and females? Um, a lot of that won't change because of this particular discontinuity. Um, but that behavior will, you know, that behavior does change in time. You know, as you can see with how the um, dictionaries evolve over time, our use of language, you know, does evolve over time. So I think, um, you know, using um, you know, tomorrow, the same model as you used uh, yesterday in that particular case, you know, isn't, um, isn't, you know, wouldn't come up with really crazy decisions. But um, what's important is that you're gathering uh, information real time, uh, you know, uh, your proportion of, in this case, you know, females and, and male browsers and, and how they react to the language in your, in your job advert. Um, and seeing whether, you know, the assumptions you had in the past are still true, and then evolving uh, your algorithm as people's, um, you know, how people are influenced by the language change. Or, you know, if we take the example we were talking about earlier, selection of people, um, you know, my view is that, you know, most of our clients, you know, are looking for people with, you know, strong reasoning skills, self-motivated you know, strong interpersonal skills as, as a kind of example. Now, I think, you know, over this discontinuity, they'll be looking for people perhaps who can work more independently, um, who perhaps are uh, better able to deal with change. Uh, but, you know, 80% um, of the components have stayed the same. Um, and uh, so I think using a model from yesterday for today is, is you know, not going to be... Uh, not going to come up with really crazy results. And then as we see the check client's behavior changing, um, you know, our models are working real time to come up with new models, which predict, you know, uh, uh, and deliver recommendations that reflect the new types of behavior in the new world. But uh, I think you're right, John, you have to keep a really good eye on this because you could easily fall off a cliff from one day to another um, it, you know, with certain kinds of models and certain kinds of situations. So, so I've looked under the hood of your product a couple of times over the years, and it seems to me that you have the best 
the most interesting approach to watching model performance over time. And as, as I thought about it um, in the past, it was always you had a perfect system for catching models as they degraded. Uh, but I wonder okay. if those same principles apply when you have, you've been calling it a discontinuity. I, I, I wonder about that. But, but So you have this discontinuity and the models abruptly fail. Can you see that yeah. in your data? Yeah, so I'd love to show you actually. It's, it's been a few months since we took a look under the hood together. Um, we've come up with new, uh, you know, even more insightful tool, uh, which kind of shows you real time how the model is performing um, against, uh, you know, the parameters you'd, you'd want to look at. And so, yes, it would be very evident, um, you know, day to day that, you know, the predictions or the recommendations you were making uh, were no longer fit for purpose. Got it. Okay, so, so what are the big ethical issues that you run into? Um, I, I think, um, I think obviously data privacy and consent, I think, is really important. Uh, you know, making sure that uh, people understand uh, what you're doing with their data and that you have their consent to do it. Um, I think, um, I guess the thing that we are particularly excited and interested in is ensuring that bias isn't perpetuated, ensuring that there's kind of equal opportunities, you know, and fairness in, in opportunity. So, um, you know, one of the things I, I would um, show you um, on screen is, you know, the constant monitoring of, of any, uh, well, you know, what's the underlying bias in current decision-making, um, any uh, new way that we recommend to make decisions, monitoring, uh, well, first of all, validating that they have no bias, and then uh, real-time, as we discussed, checking that there is no, you know, live bias in those things. Um, so I think, you know, the privacy of the data, the bias, and then I guess the kind of final one I would have, and I'm sure you, you're going to pick me up on some things I should have, should, you know, think about that I probably haven't. But uh, yeah, the last one I would think about is kind of fairness and transparency in decision-making. And that would be about, um, you know, as I said, trying to make it really clear to uh, people the basis on which uh, we are making recommendations um, and so that, you know, potentially you can explain also to candidates if that's the decision we're talking about, you know, why a decision has been made and why it's a fair decision um, and, and defensible. So th those would be kind of my top three. Can you, can you, can you, you're, you're, a, you're an expert on this. What, what are the other kind of ethical things you think I should be concerned about? Well, you know, you know, I think it's confusing time, and and so a lot of the things that looked like really important ethical considerations a week ago, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe reprioritized right now. But I, but I am yeah. curious. There was there was an implication in in your description that you've got algorithms that monitor for various kinds of bias on an ongoing way, and so so I wonder. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the conversation about bias is a tricky one. There are biases that are illegal in the States. I assume there are biases that are illegal in, in the U.K., and that's an important area to protect. That's compliance. But biases in decision-making 
how decision making happens, sort of. And so being able to mm-hmm. offer feedback about biases that are not illegal, <laughs> but maybe coloring decision making is something that you're in a kind of a unique position to do it on the hiring front. Do you do that? Um, absolutely. I mean, uh, perhaps not on as profound a level as, um, uh, you know, as, as perhaps uh, uh, we maybe aspire, but, you know, some of the biases that we're looking at all the time are things like, you know, biases towards, I don't know, certain schools and whether, you know, the schools that the people come from, you know, are predictors of success. Because in, in reality, if you're using school as a basis on, on selecting someone, uh, but actually it's not, uh, what's the word, predicting people's performance in jobs, um, then, you know, in my view, you shouldn't really, uh, you know, be using it. Um, in, in Europe, we have a, a very wide um, set of protected characteristics, to your point, um, you know, uh, including um, things like kind of social mobility. Um, so um, in some cases, we are also, you know, m- measuring some things which are, uh, you know, not, perhaps not uh, a legally uh, prescribed one in the U.S., but are kind of also, uh, you know, uh, more legally prescribed or more, certainly more, uh, seem to be more firms looking at some of those sorts of things in Europe. So uh, I think we're looking at a wide range of things from the mundane, like schools, to, um, you know, obviously through uh, minority and gender, but to some, you know, more interesting protected characteristics as well. You must, you must have some interesting insights into your clients. We'll have to talk about that in the, in the later show and figure out how to talk about it so you don't make anybody look stupid but 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 i imagine that that the more interested your clients are in understanding how their bias is expressed in their decision making the more complex and interesting your analysis could be yeah 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 we have some fantastic charts which i'd love to show you um which kind of we, you know, we, we, we basically identify all the decision-making variables and we look at how those introduce bias into the process. Uh, we can do that for any type of uh, bias. Um, and, um, and then we write these interesting optimization functions in order to try and remove um, any of those sorts of bias. So it's a very interesting topic where we've got lots of interesting data that I'd be very um, eager to uh, get your views on. Oh well, well let's let's schedule that, and uh, that's that's a great segue. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation, Charles, as usual. Um, and I imagine that some people are listening, going, "Why does John get to see everything? When can I see it?" So, so why don't you, on the way out the door here, reintroduce yourself and tell people how to get a hold of you so that they can try to twist your arm and get to see the things that you promised me, John. That's that's fantastically kind of you. Um, so obviously one of the easiest ways to, to, to find me is to go to our website, which is um, Olio, that's O-L-E-O um, dot com. Um, and um, you can also, I'd be very happy for people to email me. Um, you can email me at, um, at charles.hips at Olio. O L 
sorry, I realized I misspelled my own name, O-L-E-E-O, sorry, I must spell it right, dot <laughs> com. Um, so I'd be delighted to hear from anybody who's listening, Ed, either via the website or uh, direct to me. Fantastic. Thanks again for doing this, Charles. It's always a great conversation. I appreciate the scientific rigor you bring to this. And uh, again, thanks for taking the time to do it. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Charles Hips, who is the CEO and founder of Oleo, O-L-E-E-O.com, uh, a, a fully configured front-to-back recruiting system that's built on a disciplined analytics platform. Thanks for listening in, everybody, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye now.